it's not just coffee that's gone cold as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so you haven't even tried it. That's cool. Pedro, what about you? So I'm a tea lover. Uh, and when okay. I take coffee, I like espresso. So definitely don't take it cold. Okay. Have you ever tried tea and coffee together? Actually, no, but that sounds okay. like an interesting idea or a challenge yeah. for tomorrow morning. <laughs> you should you check out this company. It's called Java Zen. These two college students where one was passionate about coffee and one was like you passionate about tea. And so one of the roommates went and they blended it together as a joke. And then it actually was really good. And it didn't have the crash of coffee and it had the sustainability of tea. And it had this kind of like perfect flavor between the two. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like yeah. a great sales pitch. All right. <laughs> uh, Anker, uh, how about you? Are you a, a coffee hot no, or cold? I am a tea person, but if I have to take coffee, I'll, it's definitely going to be hot. Uh, okay. I, I definitely, I did see a few people at my workplace when we had an extended summer, going fighting for the ice uh, in the fridge to make the cold coffee. All right. Uh, well. Well, that's okay. You know, we don't hold that. We don't hold that against anybody here. And if you're just <laughs> joining us, we've been having fun talking about something that's very important to scaling and startups. It's called coffee. And the question is whether or not coffee is better hot or cold. And so that's maybe a podcast for another day. But today we're going to talk about how we percolate engineering and how um, how do we wait? Is it engineering? No. Is it? Yes, it is. It is. It is. Okay, good. Yeah, See, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself here, right? Somebody's like, no, I drink tea. And so like my brain's all weird out. But anyways, we're here today with these amazing startup uh, and scale up heroes because um, here on this podcast, we essentially talk about the challenges that scale ups face. Now, scale ups are those companies who were startups, uh, still have the genetics of a startup, but they have the funding to now they have the pressure more for scaling than just staying alive. And when it comes to the, the power of bringing people together. We've all had successes. We've all had failures. And what's exciting about this Scale Up Heroes podcast is that we bring people together so that we can really round table to help shortcut and to help fast track those people who are trying to get where they want to go. If you want to see more of these shows, which you will, you can go to scaleupacademy.io. And what Scale Up Academy does is helps startups scale their scale ups. And there's basically three things. They've got peer-to-peer -peer, uh, community building. They've got this podcast. Then they've got these workshops where they travel all around the world. My name is Ryan Fulman. I'm a global keynote speaker, just here to kind of get the conversation going, talk about coffee, and set up Pedro for a successful uh, podcast. So Pedro, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the coffee pot over to you as you can get this thing going, and I'm gonna take some copious notes, probably draw some stick figures, and at the end, I'm gonna wrap it up and uh, and serve it to everybody, probably with some ice, and hopefully it'll get everybody going for the day. So Pedro, off to you, buddy. Okay, thank you so much, Ryan, for the introduction. Uh, so, hi everyone, uh, welcome to this uh, to this new episode of, of Scale Up Academy. So, we are talking about scaling engineering, and a specific topic for today is the delivery process. Okay, so we all know that for for our companies to be successful, we need to deliver. So, we need to to attend our customer needs. We need to get stuff done. <clears throat> so, definitely to to discuss a little bit about how we do the delivery is something that is very helpful for everyone that's listening to us right now. So I think that first we uh, I should present to the the panelists. So we have a great panel today for sure. So we have three gentlemen from London, or at least they are currently in London, which is interesting. So definitely TV fans and not that that much uh, fond of coffee. Um, so we have Guy from Bought by Many. We have Sarunas from Transfer Go, and we have also Ankur from Hostmaker. Um, and I think that right now. Um, 
at least what people is wondering is what are your responsibilities inside the company, okay? So, because we have very different uh, profiles. So we have CTOs, VPs, directors, and so on and so forth. Uh, and obviously sometimes what a VP does in a company is exactly the same thing that a VP does on a different company. It really depends on the size and everything. So I think that we could probably start with Sarunas from TransferGo and you can present yourself. Hello, yeah, very nice to join you guys. Uh, so as a CTO at TransferGo, I'm basically responsible for scaling the product and development team uh, in terms of like people and who the right people at the right time are. Uh, making sure we follow good security practices and procedures because like this is FinTech, uh, we kind of are required by law to follow a lot of good practices, good procedures. And then keeping senior management in sync of what the good, the bad, and I guess the ugly of our current state is. And that includes, you know, like making sure our resources are used efficiently, hiring the good talent, nurturing the creativity, and some innovation. So that's in short about me. Very well. <clears throat> Guy, but I'm any. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm the uh, CTO and co-founder at Bought by Many. I guess... Uh, uh, similarly, really, my role is about uh, running the tech team. So I'm responsible for the soft, all the software we build, essentially, not so much the operational tech that sits around it. Um, and yeah, as as Serena said, I'm recruiting the right people into the right roles, making sure they want to stay with us, hopefully allowing them to grow their careers, making sure we've got enough, enough of a team um, to deliver all the software we need and uh, keeping... Uh, senior management appraise of where we're up to and what they can expect hopefully delivering to, to those expectations um, and also increasingly my role is about uh, growing the profile of bought by many as a, as a technology company in London so I try and get out and speak as often as possible um, you know there's definitely an element of marketing about it now no. uh, okay yeah, very well. <clears throat> I actually, I, I'm happy that well, I think all of us, we have a high focus right now in retention since the hiring market is completely insane right now. It is at least it's very hard in Portugal. In I think in London, it always has been like that. So definitely it's a big challenge for all of us. Uh, last but not least, Hankur, hostmaker. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, uh, like, uh, like Guy and Saranas, uh, I look uh, after the engineering team. Uh, main goal has been building a high performance team, hiring the right engineers uh, that can help us ship working software on time uh, with uh, high quality. Um, clearly the focus has been on making sure there's a productive environment, uh, there's a focus on uh, making uh, people are happy, feeling motivated so that they work with us for longer. Uh, and as we scale up, the focus has shifted a lot more on building a technology brand. Uh, Hostmaker has an exciting journey, being very focused on operations to being a tech-enabled company and making sure the world's out there. Very well. So one thing that I think it's quite relevant for this conversation is for, for everyone that is listening to us to understand how big uh, are your teams, your engineering teams, so that people can actually relate more with one panelist or the other. So Ankur, since you were the last one speaking, can you tell us a little bit more about your team? Yeah, uh, when I joined Hostmaker two years ago, uh, we had two, a team of two engineers. Uh, 
uh, we raised our series A and we set ourselves a target of uh, say a 10 engineers. And uh, with the growth pace we saw, we are right now at 30, uh, 25 engineers, five QAs, and we're looking to hire more. Oh, very well. <clears throat> what about you, Guy? Yeah, so slightly smaller scale, but we are currently 15 in the team. Uh, funny enough, with, a, with an ambition to get it to 30 <laughs> fairly quickly. Uh, so yeah, hopefully over the next 12 months, we kind of get to that sort of size. Okay, well. Uh I guess following in the same fashion which Anchor uh, described, I joined TransferGo about two and a half, close to three years ago. Uh, the team was at that time around eight engineers with no specific structure. Uh, and throughout that time, a lot of them had to kind of either adjust or change. So we are currently at 36 engineers uh, looking to kind of almost, or maybe more than double up in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, but this is happening just because we changed the way we hire. The first year when I joined, we hired one by one. And now we hire more like in teams. So every time we add a team, it's just like a six, six plus people. Uh, so some months are very good and we hire a full team in like a month or two. Some months are seasonically not very good <laughs> and we hire just that one person, which then we're looking at that time, at that number. So currently at 36, looking to grow to 65, 70 in the next 12 months. Oh, very well. <clears throat> very well indeed. Um, so one thing that I usually ask, and I think it's very important, it's not only to understand a little bit more uh, what your company do, uh, I think that, uh, for instance, Serena actually gave an, exp uh, an explanation that it was a fintech company, uh, but if you could give us a little bit more of details on that, and also what makes your company unique, okay? So why, why should someone join you and work for you? Uh, I guess what makes us unique, like there are a couple of companies similar to us, and uh, in the long term, some of them look like it's, it's just a marketing play. Uh, what makes us unique, we kind of focus from day one uh, as a company to create uh, not just a cheap kind of way to send money uh, because our, our main kind of product and goal is remittance, money remittance, but we focus more on building good relationships and API relationships uh, on top of the existing banking infrastructures, which meant we just didn't go to uh, aggregators like uh, some of our competitors, but we actually tried to create relationships with banks uh, to create APIs on top of maybe no APIs, uh, create integrations and just basically go uh, with two approaches. One, great product experience for the customer and two, actual kind of speed of that. So we focused mostly with product. Obviously, it's not non-ending pr uh, processing. You can keep Per, uh, making it more and more perfect. With integrations, with speed, it's like a one-way tunnel. You can only make it possibly better. Of course, if regulations comes up, you might make it worse. Uh, but the whole idea was that we started with next business day delivery uh, about six, five years ago. Uh, then about two, two and a half, three years ago, we made it uh, down to one hour. Then about one and a half years ago, we made it in, uh, money receives you anywhere in Europe and extended regions in 30 minutes. And this year we're focusing around two to five minutes to reach uh, to, for your money to reach you anywhere. Currently, we actually focus on a lot on testing out Ripple's newest uh, products to send uh, money in remittance via blockchain. Uh, 
and that reaches the customers from 30 seconds to two minutes, let's say from UK to India. So our focus lately has been speed, and I believe we're kind of unique in that way. Oh, very well, <clears throat> brilliant. How about you, Guy? Uh, yeah, so uh, Bought by Many is an insure tech. We're you know, uh, in disrupting the insurance industry, I think is probably the best description. Um, the way we're, we're doing that is really um, just about trying to create uh, an insurance brand that consumers genuinely like or possibly even love and, and recommend to other people. I think that there's a, you know, the, the insurance industry has kind of lost its way a bit in terms of the way it deals with customers and which has created an opportunity for us as a disruptor in that space. Um, and so, you know, from a tech perspective, I think that's, that gives us two real challenges. Firstly, like the tech has to work and it has to look and feel great. You know, that's a big part of, of brand now. Um, and, you know, and the second side of that is it has to be agile, right? So the thing that um, the insurance companies traditionally really, really struggle with is launching new products um, because, of, because of legacy technology. Um, and so we sort of recognize that we need to build that stack from the ground up so that we can genuinely, you know, launch a new product every two weeks or change features or change pricing or whatever the, whatever the things are that make that product great for customers. Um, and so, you know, our, our uniqueness is, is, is in that ability, A, to be agile and, and B, to be like a properly customer-centric brand in the insurance. Okay. Very interesting. It's quite similar to talk desk uh, story, you know, because we, we are pretty much, we did the same on the contact center space, which is also an industry that was quite stagnated. So I can relate a lot with Botai Mani. Very well. <clears throat> Finally, Ankur. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, for the view, for the listeners, I mean, we, uh, we, pro we are a property management company that delivers hotel-like services to homes. Uh, and we built a suite of applications that enable us to deliver the experience to the guest who stays in our homes at scale. Uh, so the unique thing that we do differently to some of the others, home sharing has uh, home sharing space has been growing massively in the last few years, especially with uh, different marketplaces like Airbnb, HomeAwayBooking.com. There has been a lot of demand in this space, and you can see, uh, and the space is quite new. Uh, there hasn't been uh, that much activity in the past. It's a lot more happening uh, in the recent years. Uh, so there's a lot of outbursts of small, small players trying to solve individual problems. Uh, like there is a company that's solving the operations bit, which is just doing the cleaning of the homes so that the home is ready for the next guest. There is another uh, player that's uh, solving the communications between the guests so that they can uh, reply to the guest queries easily. Whereas what the unique thing that we are doing is we're building all of it in-house, uh, So, which is why we're investing quite a bit in tech uh, uh, with latest technology to be able to deliver that quality of experience uh, and at scale at a global level. Uh, so it's not just limiting ourselves to a city, but we are right now in nine cities. Uh, so being able to handle things with multilingual complexity and also at scale. Very well. Okay. <clears throat> Brilliant. So I think the one question that everyone's kind of wondering is, so how is your delivery being made? Okay. So we all know that probably we have some sort of, of cloud hosting where you push a button and you put some code into production. Obviously, uh, the process is much more complex than that. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, so can, can you give us, uh, Anchor, some insights on how you do your deliveries? So which sort of practice do you use? Are you kind of an agile company or not really? So 
what's happening in Hostmaker. Yeah. yeah, so our focus on delivery was uh, pure continuous delivery. I come from an agile background all my life. I've uh, followed those practices uh, and embracing lean as a way of doing stuff. Uh, so in our uh, first year uh, focus was on being able to shift as soon as it's ready. We empowered engineers that you own the delivery, you build it, you run it, you, uh, you deploy it and you own it. Uh, so moment they felt it was right, uh, they were able to deploy it into production without any without any blockers. Uh, and we have embraced that uh, culture uh, or, uh, or that mindset even until now. So even when we started hiring QAs in, in the team to, uh, to improve the speed at which we get feedback, they were never uh, positioned as gatekeepers. They were always positioned as a, as a way of, hey, let's improve the feedback loop so that you guys can catch the errors or any issues early, but let the, uh, let the developers uh, carry on deploying as and when it's ready. So uh, clear focus is on, um, uh, on continuous delivery. We try and follow a little bit of Scrum more recently with uh, a very lightweight planning session. I like to call it Scrumban because we were initially doing Kanban. Uh, and as the team grew, uh, we needed a little bit of lightweight planning to provide visibility to the engineers on what's coming up next. It was difficult to manage that. Uh, and uh, in terms of organizations, we are set up as uh, product-oriented teams. So we have squads of four to five engineers. Uh, working on uh, what, working on features on certain products that delivers business value. Okay, very well, very impressive, <clears throat> Guy. Uh, so, uh, funny enough, very similar. Actually. So we we do a we have a CI/CD pipeline that um, that you know we build into on a pretty much daily basis. So the the back end stuff into the server goes out every day. The front end stuff. Uh, slightly less regularly, a couple of times a week, I'd say. Um, we have fairly solid front-end sort of behavioral automation written in Cucumber.js. Mm. Um, and most of the sort of bought by me.com websites covered by that automation. Um, in terms of process, I would say, again, we have a kind of, um, sort of, I guess, a lightweight, agile process. We run two weekly sprints. Um, we have a sort of half a day every two weeks that we spend on planning and retrospective. Um, we all, but we also have a, a little bit more, I'd say some waterfall type stuff at the requirement side, where if we're doing a big new project, we'll, we'll set the BAs off to produce some sensible requirements before it comes into that agile process. So for example, we're just working on a new claim system right now. Um, and that's, you know, there's been, I'd say, a good month or so of requirements analysis and documentation going into that before it touches any build. Um, but when it does come to build, it'll be, be much more agile. Um, I think what else? Yeah, I think we probably have a slightly more gatekeeper. Our, our QAs are slightly more gatekeeper-ish. And once mm -hmm. they say it's good, then the... So the onus is on the engineers to get it through the process and not just let it sit in for review or for release. Um, but the, but they, they're not allowed to push it out until the QA guys say it's good to go. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's us. Very well. So I, I see I see a lot of, of DevOps culture, at least in, in the first two scenarios. Uh, what about TransferGo, Serenus? Uh, well, for TransferGo, I guess uh, the way we focus um, can be split into two models. One is just for our uh, web and API uh, part of, of, of 
products. Another one is just for mobile apps or mobile native apps, uh, because kind of not only historically, but just from a practical point of view, we don't really need to ship our mobile apps uh, continually uh, every day and every feature. Uh, they are more kind of planned in, in, in kind of release cycle way. And that allows us just to ship them every week or so uh, with an occasional hot fix, whatever we actually want to. Uh, but the web and, and, and the API parts are basically following the continuous integration, continuous deployment kind of model uh, where every single um, feature, every single fix, every single task can just go out uh, instantly. That has changed drastically from what it was about three years ago, where we had exactly the gatekeeping kind of attitude from, at this point, previous QA people, uh, where a lot of it was like, I'm the, I don't trust the build, I don't trust, I don't trust how it is done, I, and all that, without actually having proper uh, procedures in place. And when we worked very hard to actually put the procedures in place, put the whole continuous integration pipeline and everything in place and kind of going from where we released once a month with still visible pain after because it broke down to where we release at least, I think, two, three, maybe 10 times a day uh, without any kind of pain at all. And we do still have uh, quite um, responsible kind of QAs, but just because we're a fintech uh, company and you kind of need to make sure that at the end of the day, once we ship it, even if it does cover it, uh, there is kind of no smoke going from under the hood and you know, the money's not gone for the people. Uh, so we do follow for the web and uh, API products uh, Kanban uh, kind of planning uh, for the mobile more like a scrum and we do plan it for something like a two week sprint uh, for the mobile products. Uh, this kind of describes us, I guess. Hmm, very well. Uh, and some more things, so you kind of, to walk briefly <clears throat> around the kind of what you are doing and what you're doing now. So how was that sort of transition? Because from, from what I, and I understand and, and, and speaking with some companies, uh, I still find that for some companies, it's very hard for them to adopt, you know, like Scrum or so. Not everyone is a believer. You actually, you see a lot of, of ranting on the internet around that, that is the stuff that doesn't work. And now you have like people just moving around and, and kind of searching for the holy grail of delivery and productivity. Um, so how it was for you? So it was hard for you to do some sort of transition into the sort of process that you are right now, or it was very easy? I think the answer is it's never easy. Uh, you always have to uh, try, learn, fail, and then kind of learn from that and actually adjust. Uh, I kind of agree with what uh, briefly Guy mentioned about uh, the waterfall part. Uh, since we kind of build a lot on, on, on top of uh, uncertainty, sometimes certainty, sometimes uncertainty from a bank's point of view, from an integration point of view, there is a lot of uncertainty in terms of time, how, what we can actually deliver even if we spec it out perfectly. So uh, there's a lot of uh, times that um, the banking partners or payment partners, they say one thing. And then once you start integrating, actually running stuff, uh, it turns out a bit, a bit, little bit different. So from a Scrum point of view, we tried that um, at the very, very, very beginning, but we kept on hitting the wall in terms of points and what those points actually um, 
lead to, you know, like there was no consistency. So we had to kind of go more towards a Kanban point of view where uh, we just plan and see what goes quickest and most pre in a priority kind of way. And it was more of a pragma pragmatical point of view. Mixed, we wanted to do full on Scrum, plan everything in points and, and be sometimes strict, sometimes loose. Uh, but then we had to see the reality of, okay, so it doesn't really work out once you have a lot of third parties involved and the process is, is, is much, much, much more different. And then in terms of code itself, um, I guess uh, business just wanted to have certainty over uh, the, release, uh, the releases. So initially, once you have kind of a whole process uh, almost manual, you have a lot of uncertainty. You have to have a lot of test coverage and, and, and a lot of kind of, you know, like investment uh, to make sure that, okay, this release will not break anything and it still used to break stuff. <laughs> and then we, you know, like that continuous integration, continuous deployment required us to do some test coverage, required to change how we build, required to add additional logic, additional complexity. Uh, with that complexity, uh, there was much more freedom in terms of how often we can ship and how confident we can ship. So it was painful. It was a long exercise, but at the same time, it, it just has been rewarding. Great, great to know. Uh, what about Bot by Manny? Um, so, I mean, I think we've been through almost every process you can imagine bar <laughs> waterfall. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in the sense that I, you know, the first version of the website was I wrote in the, in my shed. So, you know, now there was no process at all. Um, through to, you know, to now I think we've got a, a reasonable sort of, I guess, uh, agile hybrid. But in between that we did um, a full, we did, we tried, tried agile in the early days in sort of, you know, second, third year. And we just, just didn't achieve it at all. Went back to a Kanban method, which was, just a good way of making progress without without putting too much um, process on top of a you know a small team and a very agile or agile is the wrong word in a very formative environment it's probably the best description um, and now we're we're finding we need to be somewhat more formal because um, you know as there's lots of third parties and lots of operational people and recruitment and all those sorts of things which rely on or which depend on the tech being there so. Um, you know, you don't want to start recruiting people until there's actually a system for them to use and all that sort of stuff, or you know when there's going to be a system for them to use. I still don't, I still don't think we've, we've, we've got it right because, um, uh, as Suruna was just saying, it's, you know, there's so much uncertainty in operating with third parties and also in just understanding the complexities put on you by certain parts of the regulation that, you know, we start into something thinking it's relatively simple, only to find out it's incredibly complicated. Um, <laughs> And, you know, and I think you just kind of have to live with a certain level of, of chaos because otherwise you end up, you spend so much time in the definition phase, you never actually do anything. Um, so, you know, I think my answer is we've, we've tried everything. The answer, um, we, we've kind of reached a sort of reasonable hybrid, but we still could be a lot better at it. Uh, I, you were actually kind of, you were speaking and uh, I remember a sentence that I, I read uh, on the internet that <clears throat> it was from Mario Andretti, if I'm not mistaken, that is, if everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. So when you when you mentioned the, the chaotic uh, uh, stage, definitely something that I think all, all successful companies always have a little bit of chaos and, and craziness to, to achieve success. <laughs> 
And if I can add, I think uh, uh, one more uh, kind of idea on that is the five nines from DevOps, like, uh, you know, the 99 point and whatever number of nines you have, like the fifth nine at some point becomes unreasonably expensive to achieve. Oh, and, 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 you know, like at some point you have to just say, okay, this is not needed. Otherwise we're, it's, it's A or expensive or B, we're not growing fast enough. No, absolutely. You know, all, all providers all, all usually only share like four nines or 99.95 because it's, you know, like five nines is like being down for a couple of seconds or like two minutes or so throughout exactly. the whole year. Exactly. Just insane. It's, it's almost unsustainable. And to actually to have that uh, achieved, it's pretty much like a fortune. You, we all be uh, would be out of business. Uh, but uh, funny that you're mentioning mentioning one thing that TalkDesk actually announced a couple of weeks weeks ago was um, an SLA of 100%. So like we we our promise for for our customers is that our service will always work, and if it doesn't work for you, we'll we'll compensate you. So. Although obviously we, we, we work to have that sort of uptime, nevertheless, our agreement will be the 100%, which is something that we are still kind of looking out to see what, what are the, the consequences of that. Um, so yes, and Anchor, tell me about your experience. Yeah, so when I joined uh, Hostmaker, uh, the, the, the delivery process and the engineering mindset was, uh, was, was very chaotic. Uh, we had engineers writing code in in any way or form they want, any language or any structure they wanted. So there was no consistency across different applications. Uh, so first few first few months was actually establishing that, like, okay, we're gonna write code in Node.js, uh, developing standards on that, that okay, we're gonna accept Node.js as our backend and React as our front end, uh, setting up basic uh, uh, stuff like LinkedIn and bringing those practices in place. Uh, CI CD was always there. We just made it, made it uh, slightly better by bringing in some level of automation in place. So uh, bringing that, uh, reducing that feedback cycle was one of the key things. Uh, in terms of process, uh, we, we sort of were following Kanban. So we were looking at what are the high priority items we have uh, and always curating that backlog in terms of that we have the engineers working on the most important bit that we, that the users need uh, tomorrow. Uh, and the focus was always on delivering small chunks. So don't do anything that takes longer than two to three days. If it takes longer than two to three days, likely we are doing something wrong. Maybe there's opportunity in breaking it into smaller chunks so that we don't invest that much time in building it and then learning that, oh, we have to, we got it wrong, we got to shift it. Uh, so focus was again, even in there, we applied the mindset of reducing the feedback loop, how fast we can, uh, what is the smallest thing we can do that will enable, enable us to learn uh, from what we have done, both on the coding side, as well as developing features side. Uh, as we grew, as we added more, uh, as a team size grew, we obviously needed to, it was difficult to maintain that higher, that curated list of prioritized backlog. And obviously as the number of products grew, it was also difficult to manage around, hey, this engineer has context on these stories, this engineer has context on these areas. So manage, uh, managing that via Kanban style was difficult. So we eventually had to split. We used to have stand-up in one stand-up uh, where all 10, I think we reached to a stage where we used to have 12 engineers and 
two product managers giving an update and it used to last for 30, 40 minutes and like, okay, we need to break it. <laughs> uh, 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 so, so obviously, and uh, that was another thing I forgot to mention in early, we do run a remote team. So we are a very distributed team. Uh, so, which meant that we were spending 30, 40 minutes on Hangout and focus was more on communication. So we didn't want to discourage that. We wanted to encourage that rather. Uh, and hence, that's another drive for splitting that into smaller squads and follow a little bit of more uh, planning. So uh, work with, uh, have a curated list of high priority items for the weeks, set yourself a goal, uh, but it's not it's not like a scrum scrum. It's like, uh, this is the goal we're aiming for. Moment they're ready, feel free to deliver it. So same principles were followed. It's just that we brought in some more structure so to, uh, to support larger teams or larger number of engineers um, and yeah and since then i've seen the automation stuff grow much better via our code base is a lot more consistent uh, obviously the key challenges are around how do we manage tech debt how do we uh, uh, as we are working on um, on features obviously all our engineers are more on front of the at the edge of delivering those features. So there's often the trade-off is against, uh, hey, can we get this out sooner? And then maybe pick up pick up some of this tech issue a bit later or something like that. So that's my, another thing I balance, I bring in like, hey, if you don't do this now, the feature next feature is gonna take a lot longer. So we gotta bring it up now. Uh, so balancing that is something we kind of do actively as well. Hmm. Very well. Actually, I was very pleased to hear you know the, the feedback, uh, feedback, feedback loops, the short feedback loops. I've I've read the DevOps handbook, uh, and DevOps it's all about feedback and as as fast as possible. So definitely something that I really can relate to. So now we have like one question on the topic, and I don't want to to run out of time. So the question now is, how often do you ship? So do you ship daily on a weekly basis? Is, is it because it's a choice of yours? Or let's say, for instance, in TransferGo, I don't know, you have some sort of restrictions because of the sort of industry that you're working on. Um, so that's that's one question. And obviously now I, I almost have like the sherry to put on top of the cake is like, uh, in your opinion, shipping on an afternoon, uh, Friday afternoon, is it something that is okay for you to do or is a big no-no? Uh, so we can start with you, Anchor. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so we, uh, I like uh, to be able to ship, uh, like my teams and engineers to be able to ship as soon as possible. So we try and encourage developers to release uh, uh, whenever they have, they feel they are ready. Uh, we do close to seven or eight releases on a daily basis. Uh, uh, on a good day, we might be doing a lot more. Uh, and uh, going, going to your question on Friday afternoon, uh, I still try and push those boundaries. I say like, hey, if we can, if you're ready to build it, run it, own it, then then go for it. You may have to stay a little longer just for supporting it. If there's any issue, if you're okay with that, go ahead and release it. Uh, but I would advise not releasing it uh, simply because we don't want to be in a position where we spoil your weekend. Absolutely, and the pub is waiting, right? So it's Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> what about the guy? Uh, so I guess similar to we do behind our API, we probably release, I don't know, two or three times a day, whenever the, whenever the release is ready or the engineer is ready. Um, the web pure front end stuff a bit less regularly, um, just because we like to pass that through some pairs of eyes, uh, some actual pairs of eyes for the, the pure front, on, front end stuff. But we still do that a couple of times a week at least. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, the, the Friday afternoon, uh, we tend not to, it's a simple answer. 
no particular reason other than uh, exactly as Angela said, we don't want to spoil anybody's weekend. <laughs> yeah, like don't try to be a hero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, if, if it's urgent, it goes, right? Oh, right. that's absolutely right. If, if you have to put up uh, out of fire, then just, just do yeah. it. <laughs> and you, Sarunas? Uh, I think I mentioned it uh, like a couple of questions before, but yeah, yeah, we do two sets of approach. So one is the web and, and API, which goes as soon as, as possible, sometimes sooner than possible, because some features we split into invisible parts, which gets just shipped mm -hmm. for the kind of developers to see how it will act on, on the live and then finishing the touches uh, along the way throughout the day. So that goes out as fast as possible. With feature flex and stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the mobile part, uh, we tr try to uh, ship once a week or once every two weeks. Every two weeks is a strict ship. Uh, every, every week is kind of, if we have something additionally, we want to have out quicker. Uh, just because of the release cycles of uh, stores and all of that and it doesn't make sense to release daily because some sure. users, to be honest, get annoyed by the amount of updates which are coming from a store. Um, and then regarding releasing on a Friday, it kind of depends on, on the what you, we are releasing. If it's related to actually some sort of new payment methods, speed or some sort of value we're giving to the customer or I guess some sort of compliance thing, we tend to avoid releasing on Friday uh, just because we are, we have very kind of dedicated uh, finance and customer support departments who work specific hours. And if anyone gets stuck on a weekend, uh, today we don't actually cover them until the Monday morning. So that's very annoying when it comes to uh, financial things, I guess to anything uh, when, once it's a good product. Uh, but when it comes to finance, people go crazy. And we have kind of heads of uh, teams, for example, for customer support teams, we have uh, three people who are team leads there and a couple in finance. To be honest, fair weekends are get spoiled just automatically if there is a bug. So, and every, all, every other features like visual, uh, some sort of ads right, or something like that. Yeah, that's, that usually goes out very easily. Friday is, is fine. Uh, yeah. Great. Um, I think we we are almost on time. So usually we like to, to close our podcast with one last question. And the question is, what engineering advice for any startup that is listening to us and has the ambition to scale? So if you could only give one over a cup of tea or a pint, what the advice would be, Sarunas? Uh, I'm actually kind of advising a, uh, a small startup currently, and I think the first thing I said to them is, is exactly what I would give as an advice, is don't try to create a perfect system, but do try to start with a good foundation and, uh, as for engineers, a good abstraction in place. In a scenario of success, you know, like you will definitely have to refactor at least multiple times, like eBay, PayPal, Amazon, they refactored multiple times. Uh, I think Amazon refactored end times uh in five if if in five years in my opinion if in five years uh into startups life you have never refactored the code like you never needed it it means on the first day you over engineered it so i think that's even worse than actually doing something else yeah like the agony principle of it absolutely and you know what if you had tech that it means that you survived so far so you should be happy for it <laughs> focusing focus on business yeah i agree so so tech should support business and you should be successful in 
business first, then in tech. Absolutely. What about you, Guy? Um, yeah, so I definitely agree with all of that. Um, and we've definitely been through the many refactors. Um, I guess the thing I was going to say is um, I'd be tempted, and from sort of personal experience, not to try and scale a tech team in London, to be honest, <laughs> just from a, you know, the, the, the difficulty of hiring. So we're, we're now starting to look at other locations. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a scale problem, not a startup problem. But um, and I guess I guess the other thing I'd say from a startup perspective is I, I speak to a lot of founders who who don't have any tech in the core team and they're kind of abdicating to, to a third party, all of that technology type decision. I just don't think that works. Yeah. If, you, if you're outsourcing the whole show, then I think that's probably the wrong place to start from. So, so you need you need at least one technologist in your core team, even if you are focusing on the business. And then think carefully about where you try and hire. Absolutely. Great advice. Uh, finally, Anchor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the learnings I have had is uh, don't be don't get too worried about building a remote or distributed team. Uh, be open to that and, and see how that works for you. I think my experience has been really positive. Being able to tap into really good talent across Europe uh, is a lot more adventurous. Uh, the kind of engineering team we have been able to build has been has I've had I I stand by it. Uh, I was a bit worried about it. There's a lot of literature which advocates co-located teams, but actually with the tools, uh, the maturity of the tools right right now, it's quite easy to manage. Uh, and deliver software with efficiency, even with a distributed team. And there are a lot of examples of successful companies like GitHub, GitLab, sure. uh, and many, and Hostmaker now. Uh, so, so that's definitely one advice I'd like to give to any startup. Uh, by the way, tell me just one thing. So when you're talking about kind of having distributed uh, teams, are you saying about kind of having one team in one side and another team on another side? No. Are you talking about remote first or you have like your core team in London and you have like satellite folks no, no. across Europe? Remote teams. So if I give you an example of Hostmaker Journey, we had two engineers working from Lisbon uh, uh, and we had one engineer started from Vilnius. Uh, I think Saranus is from Vilnius. Uh, and we have one from Valencia. We have one from Istanbul, one in Bristol. And the best part was that because we had good engineering culture and we, we gave them opportunity to do the stuff they love, they became promoters of our company. So they themselves said, hey, there's this cool company I'm working with. It embraces remote first culture. Why don't you want to join it? Why don't you try and join it? And that's where people, the, those areas uh, automatically started getting more uh, referrals. And referrals has been a really good source of uh, source of ingenious because the engineers themselves can sell the best story. Um, uh, and yeah, and once you do that, then we want to ensure that it doesn't tend, it doesn't create this dynamic of us versus them or this. Yeah. We, want to multi, we, want to, we want to encourage the multicultural uh, aspect. In fact, it brings its own banter with it. Uh, in fact, the guys from Lisbon say, hey, Lisbon is the best city in the world. It's so interesting to see how patriotic these guys, those guys are. Whereas the guys from Vilnius, they are, they are, they are like, hey, uh, uh, what's happening here? Well, it's, uh, it's difficult to please them. Uh, and so, so there's another mix. When you mix the people, then it brings a little different set of dynamics, which makes it even more fun. Uh, so, so we try and actually try and follow that a lot more strictly rather than creating those dev centers. Yes, eventually, then one of the centers will pick up based on ability to hire quickly, but that's natural. 
Very well, very well. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's from me. Ryan, back to you. All right. So this has been fun listening. It's been a mental cup of coffee. And we started talking about coffee, and that's exactly how we're going to end it. So as we went through this process listening, I wrote down all the stages of making coffee, from beans all the way to putting a little bit of sugar in it. And so I found something that was relative from what you guys had mentioned. So we're going to talk about the cup of joe when it comes to scaling your engineering, specifically with a flavor of, let's say, dark delivery. Okay. So the beans, that's the actual code that's being developed, right? This is the actual hard numbers that are in the computer system, but you have to grind them up and you grind them up into small chunks, whether it's two to three days, these little sprints, right? You can't just try to try to do more than that. Then the hot water, you've got to heat up the team. And that means having the right people who are all gonna, on the molecular level, get together to a point where they're heated, uh, not overheated, but just the right temperature. So they're sort of boiling, there's movement. Then you have to decide on your structure. Are you going to percolate this coffee? You're going to let it sit there for a while, or are you going to press it? And that comes down to the structure. And this is the the cambam or the scrum, like depending on how quickly you want to do it. Um, I prefer the press, but that's just me. Then you've got to wait for the magic. And this is interesting because as the coffee's brewing, uh, you guys had talked about a timeline. And this goes back to knowing how long you want your coffee. And if you've ever let your coffee brew for longer than normal, it's not going to taste just right. Then you're going to have to recall that code, uh, recrush some beans and redo it again. Then you got to choose your cup. That's totally up to you, right? Everybody's got their own personality. And as, as we were just mentioning, these different teams everywhere, you have to count for everybody's got a different cup. If you look at my cups, they're all different. So it just depends on the mood. Now, when you pour it, that is the actual release. And some people drink one cup of coffee a day, some are three, some are seven. And it seems like everybody is, is, is releasing depending on their ability to make the coffee, which makes sense. And then for those of us who do like cream, uh, I consider that the outsource component because it's just a little bit of something that changes it up just enough, but you don't necessarily need it, but it makes it go down a little bit smoother. And then the sugar, what's the sugar? The sugar is that core tech person on your team that you can sparkle to make sure that it's not just too much cream uh, and all outsourced, but it comes in with somebody inside who has it together. So yes, gentlemen and ladies out there, the best way to deliver is just like making a fine cup of coffee. Start with the right products, go through the right process, understanding that not every cup of coffee is going to be perfect, but you guys, you have to keep making them in order for it to work. And just like code, you have to keep making the mistakes and finding that right, that right combination of coffee so that you can deliver on time with some tasty code. So that's it. Uh, I, I really now forever, when I see a piece of code, I'll probably think about coffee or coffee beans or this conversation. And hopefully that maybe sticks in people's heads because at the end of the day, it's, yeah, we're being a little cheeky here talking about coffee, but not really because everything is a process and some people get very much into their coffee. Um, and one comment that stuck out is that you have to build the business first and then figure out the tech. And I think at the same time, startups and scale-ups, you have to determine what type of coffee you're making, uh, make sure that you get the raw products, the people that are going to put it together. Then the coffee will come out, people will buy it, and everyone will be a little bit more caffeinated and happy. Thank you so much, brilliant as always. Ryan, thank you so much, gentlemen. <laughs>